Good morning, everyone. Over the last several weeks, we've taken some time to reflect upon the events of the Reformation. And so I wanted to begin with just one more Reformation um, example, as we're still in this season. The first of Martin Luther's 95 theses read this way. Our Lord and Master Jesus Christ willed that the entire life of believers be one of repentance. Be one of repentance. The entire life of a believer is to be one of repentance. As we've learned about the kingdom of God through the gospel of Matthew this past fall, we have been continually confronted with a call to repentance. That is a call to change the way that we live and believe. When Jesus began his preaching ministry, Matthew reports, from that time Jesus began to preach saying, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. As Jesus interacts with the religious leaders of his day, he confronts their hardness of hearts and unwillingness to heed his message. He says the men of Nineveh will rise up at this generation And condemn it, for they repented at the preaching of Jonah, and behold, something greater than Jonah is here. That word repentance means to turn. It's a change of direction. And this is how the life of those who are in the kingdom of God begins. Through repentance, we have to repent to come into the kingdom of God. There is a turning, there is a change of direction. But it is also how life continues in the kingdom. Each and every day turning from self-direction to God's direction. It's happened to me more times than I can remember. We're driving past an intersection and we see a homeless man asking for help. And my inclination is to avert my eyes, keep going, or make an excuse for why I don't need to help. There's plenty of jobs. He'll most likely spend the money on unwise things. Or, I, you know, I'm already past him. I don't want to mess up traffic by turning around. I could cause some problems doing that. But April, and now my kids, will say, Hey, we need to turn around and help that man. I want to keep going. I want to keep on schedule. I want to make good time. But love and compassion says... Repent. Turn around and go in another direction. I could keep going. I could make excuses and sometimes I do. However, when I heed those two words, turn around, I am open to an opportunity to give and to serve and to love. These two words, turn around, are life-changing And our lives need to be changed. Our passage for this morning is Matthew 21, 28 through 32. And I'd invite you to turn there in your Bibles. Here in Matthew 21, Jesus is speaking to the religious leaders of His day. He has come to Jerusalem. And in a few short days, He will offer His life as a sacrifice for sin. Will rise from the dead to deliver His people from the sting of death. And as he teaches the crowds, the scribes and the Pharisees seek to knock him off his game. 
They tried to disrupt his ministry by stumping him with difficult questions. You see, Jesus has confronted these men. He has said to them, you need to repent. You need to turn around. You believe that you're on the right and proper path. But if you would come into the kingdom of God, you need to change. For all have sinned and fall short of God's glory. To bring this point home, Jesus shares a parable of two sons. Both are given the same request from their father. However, they respond in an opposite manner. One rebels outwardly, but then repents. The other complies outwardly, but then rebels. The first son represents those who need to repent of their sin. And the second, those who need to repent of their supposed righteousness. And what we'll see in our text is that if we would enter the kingdom of God, we must live a life of repentance. A life that is constantly turning from trust in self to trust in Christ alone. So here now, the word of the Lord, the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 21, beginning in verse 28. What do you think? A man had two sons, and he went to the first and said, Son, go and work in the vineyard today. And he answered, I will not. But afterward, he changed his mind and went. And he went to the other son and said the same. And he answered, I go, sir, but did not go. Which of the two did the will of his father? They said, The first, Jesus said to them, truly, I say to you, the tax collectors and the prostitutes go into the kingdom of God before you. For John came to you in the way of righteousness and you did not believe him, but the tax collectors and prostitutes believed him. And even when you saw it, you did not afterwards change your minds and believe him. This is God's holy word for us as people. Let us pray. Almighty God, we come to you now and we ask that by your word and your spirit that we might walk in the truth of your light, that we might find freedom and peace. And we pray, O God, that as we reflect upon what it means to live a life of repentance, Lord, that those who find themselves stuck in sin would know forgiveness in Christ. And those who came with their supposed righteousness this day would be softened and would turn. We pray this all in Christ's holy name. Amen. What do you think? Jesus begins his teaching by asking the religious leaders this question. What do you think? Put on your thinking caps. I'm about to present you with a situation. I want you to respond. And this is what the word of God is calling us to today as well. To pause for a moment. To think as we spend a few moments looking at the words of Jesus Christ. Don't just let them pass over you. But take a moment to think about what is being said. Now, as we've just read, Jesus presents the religious leaders with this short parable about two sons. The first son refuses the request of his father to work in the vineyard. This type of rebellion 
would have been shocking to a first century Jew. A son who flatly refuses his father's request. What an affront to his authority. This child deserves to be disinherited, thrown off the property, cut off from the family. Nevertheless, he changes his attitude and goes into the vineyard and does what is asked. Now, the complete opposite happens with the second son, as we read. He gladly accepts his father's request to work. He says what he is supposed to say. He maintains an outward obedience. Yes, sir, whatever you say, sir. However, when it comes time to render the service promised, he did not go. I can imagine this scenario isn't too far-fetched. Any manner of interruptions could have kept his son from his work. He was outwardly submissive. Things just got in the way of doing what he promised. So what do you think? Who did the father's will? The first son seems so rebellious. He seems so disrespectful. However, despite his initial behavior, he did what was asked. By contrast, the second son was submissive and respectful, but he left the work undone. What would you rather have? You ask your son to wash the dishes and he makes a big fuss about how unfair it is that he has to clean everyone else's dishes. How his friends don't have to do such chores. He doesn't know how to clean the pots and pans properly. He has too much homework to do. He doesn't have time to do this. But after all the fuss, he rolls up his sleeves and does the work. Or would you rather have a son who says, Of course, Dad. It would be my pleasure to wash the dishes. I'm going to get right to it. Why don't you head off to bed early? Get some good shut-eye. Read your book. Don't worry. I'll get everything done here. But in the morning, you wake up to a kitchen full of last night's dirty dishes. What do you think? Now, it's important to see that what Jesus asks. He doesn't say, who made the father happy? There might be some debate about that question. Sometimes it's easier to deal with the outwardly compliant child who is lazy than the mouthy kid who ends up doing the work that you asked him. So the question isn't who made the father happy. What does Jesus ask? Verse 31, he says, which of the two did the will of his father? And the answer is impossible to avoid. Obviously, it was the first child who did the will of his father. And so we're left with the crystal clear truth, whether the first or the second son We all need to repent. To be the first son means repentance from sin, from this outward rebellion against the request of a father. But the second means repentance from a false and empty righteousness. The message of Jesus' preaching is summarized in the Word of God. As the kingdom of God is at hand, repent and believe In the gospel. And at the very heart of the message of Jesus Christ is this call to turn from sin through faith in his life, death, and resurrection. There's no taking hold of the kingdom without repentance. Now it's clear from our passage that the first son represents those who are outwardly sinful people. 
Those whose lives were marked by a public knowledge of their transgression. Jesus connects the first son to tax collectors and prostitutes. It's no secret that tax collectors were reviled by the Jewish people for they were agents of Rome's oppressive regime. They would often use their position to extort their fellow Jews out of money. In like manner, prostitutes were, by the very nature of their work, public and known sinners. And these two represented a whole class of people whose public sinfulness excluded them from the religious life of God's people. They had, by their actions, chosen a way of life that said no to God's revealed will. I will not obey. But the message of the gospel is that there is forgiveness and there is acceptance. There's an open invitation into the kingdom of God. Jesus called tax collectors like Matthew himself to leave their sinful ways and follow Him. He called prostitutes to repentance and declared that their sins were forgiven them and that they were washed clean. And the Word of God calls out to each and every one of us this day, repent and believe in the gospel Turn around, turn from the path of sin that leads to death. For the way of Christ is forgiveness and life. You see, there are none who are barred coming into the kingdom through Christ Jesus. No matter your past, no matter your sin. You may think that you are unworthy of Christ. You may think that He would throw you aside if you came to Him. But listen to what Matthew tells us in chapter 9 of his Gospel. It says, And Jesus reclined at table in the house, and behold, many tax collectors and sinners came and were reclining with Him and His disciples. And when the Pharisees saw this, they said to the disciples, Why does your teacher eat with tax collectors and sinners? But when He heard it, He said, Those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. Go and learn what this means. I desire mercy and not sacrifice. For I came not to call the righteous, but sinners. If you see yourself as an undeserving sinner, you are exactly who Jesus came to save. There is no manner of sin, whether it be sexual or violent or theft or bitterness or addiction or deceit or otherwise, that Jesus will not forgive. And so the Word of God this morning is saying to you, come to Jesus like the first son. Turn from your rebellion. Believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. He will receive you. He will forgive you. And by the power of His Spirit, He will release you from sin's dominion and enable you to walk in a manner pleasing to your Heavenly Father. You see, the life of a Christian begins with repentance. For it is not only our initial repentance that sets us on a path of Christ, but is our daily repentance as well. For each day we must face our sinful inclinations and turn to the Lord Jesus Christ in faith. This is what we learn from the first son. To enter the kingdom of God, we must repent of our sin. But what about the second son? You see, just as the first son represents known sinners, the second son clearly represents the religious authorities of the day. The scribes and the Pharisees. 
For they were willing to outwardly profess their submission to God and to His law, but inwardly they were filled with pride and unforgiveness and hatred. Here in Matthew 21, Jesus is more subtle in His rebuke of the Pharisees, but by chapter 23, His rebuke is blatant. For there in Matthew 23, He says, Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites! For you are like whitewashed tombs which outwardly appear beautiful, but within are full of dead people's bones and all uncleanness. So you also outwardly appear righteous to others, but within you are full of hypocrisy and lawlessness. You see, the words of the second son maintained an outward appearance of righteousness. He created this illusion of submission to his father by agreeing to obey. He washed the outside of the tomb as it were, but within there was a rebellion of heart that was full of death and uncleanness. And what Jesus is saying is that those who are outwardly religious are less willing to repent of their sinfulness because they believe their righteous appearance gives them shade from calls to change their life. They're unwilling to respond to John's call to repentance even when tax collectors and prostitutes responded. Why? Because they don't think they need to change. I can imagine that seeing sinners responding to the gospel made them think something along the lines, well, I'm glad that they finally straightened out their lives. I'm glad that they're finally going to follow a respectful path. I just hope their children know how to obey when they come to church. But the message of repentance was not just for some people. It's for all people. For all people have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And despite what we might think, it is respectable, religious, righteous people that have the hardest time responding to that truth. They might say, Amen. They might say, yes, Father, but inside there's all manner of rebellion and anger and hatred. And the outward appearance of righteousness keeps them from responding to the gospel. And the truth that we must face is that we are a church that is more likely to be populated with Pharisees and scribes than tax collectors and prostitutes. Therefore, we need to listen to this message very attentively. Even as the first son needed to repent of his sin, the second son needs to repent of his supposed righteousness. He needs to repent of his shade from calls to repentance. I don't need to change. I go to a respectable church. I have respectable children. I have a respectable marriage. I work a respectable job. I have a clean, respectable house. I handle my money in a respectable manner. I vote in a respectable fashion. I eat a respectable, organic, Mediterranean, keto, low-sugar, high-protein diet. I exercise in a respectable fashion. I am a respectable citizen. I say yes, sir, when I am asked. And you know what? There are millions of nice, respectable men and women who know nothing of Christ. And they will die in their respectable sins. 
They will be eternally separated from the love of the Father because they looked at the tax collectors and the prostitutes and they said, they need to repent, but not me. Because they believed that outward obedience was enough. But until you repent, you have nothing of life. For while you might be able to maintain a respectable life before others, the reality is that apart from Christ, the heart remains hard and filled with all manner of death and brokenness. Oh, respectable citizens of Lynchburg, O righteous men and women of Rivermont, O children raised in the church, O college students who attend a Christian college, you must repent of your righteousness if you would come into the kingdom of God. For there is nothing that you can bring to Christ. There is no obedience that you can render that will earn you life and life everlasting. For even as the Word of God says, even our righteous deeds are like filthy rags before our God. Therefore, we have to repent. We must turn around. We must stop trusting our righteousness. Stop making excuses and building cases for our respectability. And call on God to forgive you to change your heart. For all of life must be a life of repentance. We must repent of the sin of the first son. But we also must repent of the righteousness of the second. In the parable that Jesus tells here, there are only two sons. There is the sinner who repents and there is the self-righteous who disobeys. And Jesus tells this parable to make the point that Pharisee, this Pharisee's self-righteousness is keeping them from the kingdom of heaven. But I think we can all imagine the way of a third son. The way we would hope a son would respond to the request of his father. That is, we would hope that a son would hear the request of his father and would say, yes, sir, and then would do what was asked. A son whose desire it would be to do the will of his father. And yet the reason there is no third son in this parable is because there is no one who relates to God in that manner. There is no one who has not rebelled. No one except for Jesus Christ himself. For Jesus does the will of his father. He taught us to pray Thy kingdom come, thy will be done. He taught his disciples, my food is to do the will of him who sent me and to accomplish his work. And as he faced the reality of the cross, the pain and the suffering, he called out to his heavenly father, father, if you are willing, remove this cup from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but your will be done. For it was the will of the Father to crush Him. It was the will of the Father to offer His Son as a perfect sacrifice for sin. That all who look to Jesus in faith would be forgiven of their sin. Jesus Christ alone is the obedient Son. He alone has done the will of the Father. Setting aside His own glory to take up the shame of death, even death on a cross. And this day, that righteousness, 
that true righteousness of a perfectly obedient son is offered to you in the gospel. When you repent, when you turn, what it means is that you turn either from your sin or your supposed righteousness, which is sin, to Christ. You turn from faith in self and what self can do to faith in Christ and what Christ has done. For it was the will of the Father that Jesus would die the death your sin deserved so that you could come to Christ and receive the life that He earned. For even as Jesus says, I have come down from heaven not to do my own will, but the will of Him who sent me. For this is the will of my Father, that everyone who looks on the Son and believes in Him should have eternal life, and I will raise Him up on the last day. This is the gift of God. That is the grace of salvation. God the Father saves sinners through the obedience of His Son, Jesus Christ. And so repent. Turn around right now. Place your faith and trust in Jesus Christ alone. For in Him there is complete forgiveness. There is freedom from the power of sin. And there is life everlasting. Each Sunday we begin the service with a particular pattern of liturgy. And we do this not for the sake of tradition, but rather that we would be continually reminded of the truth that all of life is a life of repentance. If you look in your order of service, you'll see that we open following our call to worship and praising the Lord for His glory. We come to a time of confession each week. We confess our sin before the Lord. And then we hear the assurance of pardon. That those who turn from their sin, who repent and place their faith in Jesus Christ, will receive complete and total forgiveness of sin. And then we praise the Lord in the acclamation of praise because we believe the Gospel that we have been freed. You see, we must continually walk the path of repentance. We must be trained and habituated to the practice of turning from self-trust to trust in Christ alone. And the reality is today you are driving down the road of life with your goals, with your ambitions, wanting to make good time, your own schedule, your own priorities. But here the Word of God says, stop, pay attention, Turn around. For as you are interrupted by the Word of God and you turn from self to Him, what joy, what grace, what life awaits those who do the will of their Heavenly Father. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Let us pray. Almighty God, we come to You and we ask, O Lord, that You would convict us of our heart that is filled with sin and brokenness. O Spirit that dwells within us, 
We pray that we would render to You more and more submission and that we might fight the spiritual battle that is raging within us that each day we might live this life of repentance, not allowing our outward righteousness to keep us from being humble sinners, trusting in You alone. We pray this in Christ's holy name. Amen.